This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina and I am your first in-person host. Hey, my name is Sarah Shackett. I'm your second in-person host. And my name is Zach Valenti, your third in-person host. Because that's right, everybody. We're actually in the same room recording this episode of No Bad Ideas. We're around a table. Oh my God. Honest to goodness in the physical world. It really, really is better than the metaverse? Metaverse. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't. If if we ever record a podcast in the metaverse, someone just needs to take us out back. Yeah, yeah. That's when we've become <laughs> the bad idea. Yeah, we've jumped the shark. Yeah, yeah. So this is basically a new kind of episode of No Bad Ideas for anyone that has joined us recently, or for anyone that's been listening in the past like uh, three years. This is a throwback episode yeah. of No Bad Ideas to the time when we did them all like this, but. As much as we are throwing back to the all of us being together while we are recording it, we're actually trying something slightly different for this episode of No Bad Ideas. This yes. is going to be a slight format-breaking episode. Yeah. But whatever, we're, we're, it's our show, we can do whatever we want. It's, you know, and nobody can tell us that we're doing it wrong, except all the people that support us on Patreon. We're really sorry if you don't like this. Please keep loving us. We, <laughs> we, we need you. But here's what we're doing. As we are recording this, it is September 2nd, 2022. Yep. In the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord, yes. And well, we need that Lord because of what's going on. There's a new TV show out Mm -hmm. that little mom and pop store Amazon.com has just finally released after six years of talking about it something along those lines i think i think probably like four years of development hell and then like two years of like okay we're actually producing this right right so like i think six total they're finally released the lord of the rings the rings of power rings of power only the most expensive tv show ever made Uh, i think unquestionably the biggest the most expensive one made it'll be a billion dollar tv show Uh. by season two which, just like quick sidebar, because it's half a quibby. <laughs> You're right. You're not wrong. For one show. <laughs> not, even ten, not even ten episodes either. There's eight of them right now. Oh, yeah. So it's a quick season. It's a quizzy. Um, oh, now, wait, Sarah, you might actually be able to answer this question mm. because a couple of people have asked me this question yeah. and I don't know the answer. Where do, where is that money going? Like, why is it costing so much? Like, I get that it's a big show and they need to create, like, the fantasy landscapes and that orc makeup doesn't pay for itself. Yeah. They just want the headline. They're just burning piles of money. Just... <laughs> I mean, so but, like, here's, you know, here's Game the... of Thrones was expensive, but it wasn't this expensive. So and they had dragons. They did have dragons. I mean, if you've seen the new Game of Thrones House of the Dragon, 
you may dispute the fact that they in fact have dragons based on the CGI of the dragons. Love Ooh. you. Not content to shoot shots at one <laughs> property. We are now. I, we're coming for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting way to think about it is that to stop thinking about stuff at this scale like a TV show, which hurts my heart because I love television so much. Okay. But this is really like trying to produce basically two and a half Lord of the Rings movies mm-hmm. for about half the budget of what those would be in a third of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually insane. I think probably if you were to talk to the folks, they would feel like kind of crammed and rushed while they're being bashful well, they about have the most lavish budget yes, of any production of any ever. Production ever. But if you think about it in terms of like blockbuster filmmaking sure. scale, then they're then they're exactly in the ballpark. Right. We don't have three years to you know laze around New Zealand and yes. kind of shoot things slowly. We need yes. to book it and go no, fast. Especially because they, they are not shooting in New Zealand anymore. Oh, um, yeah, there's there was controversy, which you can look up if you're curious. I'm too tired to get into it. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, there goes my uh, next question. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a very fucking expensive show. Yeah. Probably the most expensive TV show, but I think it's perhaps not quite not that it's not a TV show. It's it's serialized story, storytelling. But yeah, yeah. It's also kind of its own animal. It's, it yeah, it's, like. it's in a class of its own, really. Yeah. Right. Well, we are fascinated by this animal. Yes. Um, we are we always... We've been talking about it nonstop. <laughs> so that's kind of where the podcast <laughs> came from. a little bit. Yeah, we kind of maybe sort of perhaps needed an outlet. Yes. And we thought that it might be fun to kind of give the no bad ideas treatment to... The Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Like, just kind of momentarily for uh, however long this conversation takes. It might be slightly longer than 10 minutes. Live in the world where Jeff Bezos came to us, came to this lovely table that we're sitting at. We finally have our eccentric millionaire. We finally have our eccentric millionaire. And he's Um, like, lady, gentlemen, I need me one precious. One precious. One precious. One rings of power, please. And so, all right, so how would we do this? How would we make a TV show based on this property? And I think maybe the first thing to get into is the particular challenge of the series and the particular, are we presenting the same challenge to ourselves of, okay, so we have the right to specifically the appendices (laughs) of the Lord of the Rings. I was gonna say, this might be the first thing to talk about, that, you know, the folks that were making this, they didn't have Frodo, have Sam. Mm-mm. They didn't have Gollum, definitely. They might have Gandalf, but we maybe can't call him Gandalf? Question mark? I mean, I, it, it's tricky, right? Because part of the appendices, I think like part A, is like you get there's there's parts like A through F, guys. It's For nuts. anybody like me, we're going to take one step <laughs> back. You might have heard of some of their books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Written by one J.R. Tolkien. Yep. Um, uh, so, yep. like, I grew up with The Hobbit on audiobook mm-hmm. and Lord of the Rings, the movies. Um, yes. I think I started the books, like, with my parents. Like, mm-hmm. they, like, read them, and we kind of petered out somewhere in the forest with Tom. Yeah, so that's about yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. That's, that's, oh, spoilers abound, but, like... <laughs> There's a guy oh, called I mean, Tom. A lot of people bail around Tom. Yeah, so, so yeah, kind of petered out there. Um, and so, yeah, so I've heard tell of the posthumously published Silmarillion, yes. uh, which is basically like the greater world building of the like yeah. the multiverse of the world within the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. 
And it's kind of even more twisted than that. Even like I think that that is because they refer to the same people by different names. Oh, by so, the, so I much mean, of it. You yes. then need to like flip but, back to a glossary to understand. But and Sarah, you have I think like the surest handle on all these things out of the three of us. I think. But like, there's also kind of an element of he kind of created the mythology of this false or this you know fake world, world first for fun and then kind of wrote some books set in the later ages of the imagined world yeah. that were The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And then after his death, his son kind of went back to the, you know, just for fun, don't publish folder that had all the history that he had created just for funsies, just kind of, you know, like, you know, you're a linguistics professor, it's been a long day at the office, you just want to get home and wind and, you know, create, create some mythology for the Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you kind of get first The Hobbit, then you have Lord of the Rings. He doesn't really publish more books in his lifetime. No, although I think at certain points he was perhaps working on versions that might have gone towards publication, but sure. that's, that was published in his lifetime. He was also a working academic, so he was doing like translations right, right. of Gawain and the Green Knight, like tons of other shit. You know, it's, it's kind of wild that he is as much of a giant as he is in the world of fantasy. He's like that much of a giant in scholarship of medieval literature. Of course, of course. Um, but what's wild is, is that after his death, his publishers were like, there's interest in, you know, sort of the, the apocrypha. More rings, more more lords, come on. More Middle Earth. But they gave his son, Christopher Tolkien, like four years to put together all of the papers that he have. And it's it's enormous. It's an enormous corpus of of work. And like, he's not someone like us who uses a lot of outlines as as a writer. Mm -hmm. What he would do is he would sort of write through a chapter and try and figure out as he went and then rewrite that chapter. And in the process, names change. Mm-hmm. Locations change. Oh God! <laughs> um, and he did and so, not have find replace all at the time. No, not at this all. is all this is all longhand. I actually went to before the pandemic. There was this amazing uh, exhibit at the Morgan Library, which if you are in New York, you should go visit the Morgan Library. Um, also, on that note, uh, we are in New York, and yeah. th- there might you might hear construction yeah. sounds, street sounds. Apologies. Yeah, it's all good. But he's he was he was this incredible. Um, you know, sort of journalist and also like artist. He did like a lot of watercolors of all of the like crests and shields of all of the people and the houses and whatever of this, all this made up stuff. And his son had like under four years to put this all together into something comprehensible, which became the Silmarillion. And if I'm not mistaken, there was also parts of it where it's kind of like, do I go with the tale of Turin Turambar written in 1933, the one written in 1937, or the one written in 1939? Because they're all different. My favorite one of these is that Christopher Tolkien had to justify, there are some versions of the creation myth of of sort of Arda, the world of Middle-earth, where it's just straight up flat earth. Flat earth confirmed. Um, (laughs) Because like- But are birds real? Birds, birds are real. Birds are super yes, real. Birds very important. Um, yeah. Manwe loves the birds, but like you could sail like to the edge of the world, which is where the sort of demigods, the the Valar, lived. Um, and then in other versions, the world is round, and so he had to like figure out how to reckon with that. Uh, Christopher Tolkien did, and now there's this wonderful. I, I really love this idea of like the world begins as a flat plane, but is rounded in the course of like the events of the first age and a bunch of elves and men 
causing trouble. And the the angels are like, none of that shit. Yeah. Round we're, world we're now. We're changing it all. We're changing yeah. everything. I love it. But just to kind of, yeah, to finish the survey, yes. we have The Hobbit. We have Lord of the Rings, which comes out in the 50s. At the very end of the third Lord of the Rings books, yes. there are appendices that are kind of, you know, a brief survey of parts of this kind of like of rich this, history. Yes. Then in the 70s, after J.R.R. Tolkien's passing, yeah. Christopher Tolkien edits and puts out the Silmarillion. Yes. And after that, there have been even more things that have been published afterwards. Like 15 other books. It's, it's, it's pretty nuts. Where do they keep coming from? I mean, for- That big folder that his, says, just for fun, don't publish. Yeah, just <laughs> like prolific this man was. Um, yeah. And so you have, and also like, it's not all necessarily stuff he wrote. Like there's a collection of his letters, which is, which is excellent. Um, gotcha, gotcha. And then Christopher Tolkien started reworking um, some of the stuff that's in the Silmarillion. So like the Children of Hurin is its own book now, The Fall of Gondolin, its own thing. But when Jeff came to do the TV show, yes. he and his lawyers were, he sent his lawyers, get me that Lord of the Rings. The lawyers came back and they were like, all right, here's what we can offer you. The Hobbit, no. Off limits. MGM still has that. <laughs> the Silmarillion, not quite. We weren't able to get that for you. The Lord of the Rings, all of Fellowship of the Ring, no. All of Two Towers, no. All of the story parts of Return of the King, we no. We get you the appendices, but those 60-ish pages yeah. at the end that covered wow. the history of the world, that we can get you. And, and Jeff Bezos went, let me, that sounds so legit, let me write, let me write you a gigantic check. He also did like the inception thing of, I just bought the airline, buy, bought, Amazon acquired MGM. So now they have the rights to everything that MGM has. Ah, so now okay, they have Lord of the Rings, now they have The Hobbit. God, but wow. when they started, it was like, wow. okay, you've got like these 60 pages. Fuck. A lot of them are like calendars yep. and like <laughs> oh writing God. systems and like Hobbit genealogy. Some like, of it is about like Luthien, not Luthien, excuse me, about Arwen's yeah, life. After it's Aragorn. Aragorn and, and Arwen. So they did have Aragorn if they wanted but, him. But like only after he's already wow. the king. Like no, after he's already returned. It's, oh no, it includes it's, some it's, of his past it, too. It includes like right. how they met and like he's 20 years old and he spots her in, in a glade or whatever. So he's they could like, have done young Aragorn. Mm, yes, they could like, have. Like we could have waited for the kid that plays young Sheldon to grow up a little, a little bit, bit more, more and then he could have been young Aragorn. Correct. And we could have done, could have done that. the young adult. Adventures of it's Aragorn cool, cool. in the forest. Jon Snow when they reboot that. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, and there's like the histories of Gondor and Rohan are in the appendices, as well as uh, a little bit of the fall of Numenor, which is the civilization that definitely isn't an analogy for Britain, for sure not. It's just this nope. island that becomes a colonial power <laughs> and then is uh -huh. cast beneath the waves for its own hubris. And that like, you know, historically is opposed to the forces of darkness yeah. That rise in the east in a great war in the European analog. Yeah, NBD. Yeah. <laughs> right, checks, right, right. checks out. All right, but enough, ta anyway. enough table setting. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. let's get through this. The folks listening at home have lots of important things to do, and they want to know what the take is. So, okay, we have access to the, the appendices. appendices, yeah, and I guess the Hobbit. Uh, so we kind of have like all of that on the table. What is the way to? do it is it you know the history of lord of the rings is kind of broken up into like three ages you kind of have like the first stage which is like 
early, early, early mythos that yeah. reads a little bit more like kind of like Greek mythology. No, like so everyone it's is. Iliad and Odyssey times. Yeah. Yeah. You have the Second Age, which is basically if you watch Fellowship of the Ring and you get the prologue and it's like, you know, the world has changed. I feel it and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That whole story about, you know, like there were these people, there were these rings, they got made, it was a war, blah, blah, blah. That's the Second Age. Mm -hmm. And then Third Age is kind of where we start to get into Bilbo Baggins and Aragorn and all these guys that we mostly don't have the rights for, but I'm sure we could poke around we somewhere should, yeah, in the Third make Age. It, make it work. Where do you start, Sarah? Where do, we, where do we begin? And I think the last bit of table setting we should say is that as of this recording, I have seen two episodes of the new show. Ooh. Right, I don't think I don't think either of y'all. I caught them. You caught them? Oh, okay, so cool. you're last so you, night with my parents. Hey. I'm I'm so I'm, I'm unjeffed. I yes. don't know anything. Okay, so you have not had the experience. No. And I don't think we're not going to talk too much about what they're doing because we don't Yeah, don't you dare. I won't I don't want to be spoiled. Yeah, no. One, we don't want to spoil you. And two, like we don't ultimately know where they're going even though think I do. But anyway, <laughs> how would we approach it? I think, you know, it's not, my, my guess is that the ask is a little bit more complex than, okay, you have these appendices, go make a show, because probably our pal Jeff identified some stuff. <laughs> our good, good friend. Yes. Our personal, personal friend, Jeff, from the original trilogy that, you know, Amazon would be interested in having mm. in any Lord of the Rings TV adaptation. And so I think the first question question is, how much connective tissue are we having with the story of the Third Age? Is this, you know, the Chronicles of Young Aragorn, in which case there's a very direct line and like, we shouldn't do that because then Liv Tyler would have to play Arwen again and that would be weird. Yeah. I would encourage us to use our magical Jeff wish granting powers yeah. to go, there is no minimum for connective tissue. Right. Like ideally, you know, if you're doing something in the first age, it ends with the first Dark Lord getting dethroned. If you're doing something in the second age, it ends with Sauron losing the one ring of power. You know, like, don't do something that completely invalidates the story of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But I would sort of say that, like, you know, don't, let's not feel the need to kind of go like, ooh, we really need to kind of have this runway for Hugo Weaving to, right. you know, show up later and be Elrond again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the thing that that the other the thing the challenge that that brings up, which is I think like the essential one to, to think about when we're thinking about an adaptation, Who the fuck is, is the protagonist. Well, yes, there's that, <laughs> yeah. but also like telling a story where we know the end point, right? Yes. The classic uh, uh, prequel it's problem. The prequel problem. Yes. Of like, we know how this goes. We know that anyone who is trying to hunt down or defeat Sauron is going to be unsuccessful ultimately. Yeah. Even if you know he poses a different threat in the TV show than he does um, right in the films. And he, it's a little bit of a choice of evils because theoretically you could go into the future, like you could do. Well, let's move past the Lord of the Rings. Let's go into the Fourth Age, yeah. and then we can really come up with a new thing. Rumor of the Shadow, baby. But the problem is that the way that Tolkien set it up in the mythology, every age has like less magic yes. and less fantasy shit in it. And so if you do the Fourth Age, it's like well there aren't really wizards around, there aren't dragons, there aren't like Balrogs. I mean, there's some orcs, probably. Probably. 
But it's, it's just a rom-com. <laughs> yeah, just straight up. <laughs> New York. Just a medieval. 2000. Have you seen 19? A Knight's Tale? Yeah. Because it looks a lot well, like that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and so you kind of do have that, like, it's like, which problem do you want? Do you want the problem of, if you go into the future, you kind of don't have the big magic that makes Middle Earth, Middle Earth. Yeah. Or if you go into the past, you got to deal with the prequel problem. Yeah. And what's tough is be- is the way that Tolkien sets up the past. It's it's this very like strong historian vibes of just like man, things were really dope back in the time before recorded history. Mm-hmm. Like tons of magic cool shit going on. Look at these awesome swords and jewels. They're so Giant magical. Eagles, but like like enormous eagles, yeah. gigantic birds. Yes. They're they're so rad. They're, you know, you can swan boats Very real. incredible. Yeah. But the further and further we get away from like sort of it's 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 a very f- sort of fall of Eden kind of mm-hmm. a creation story. Like the lamer things get the more it just starts to be like, ah, oh, we're hobbits. We kind of have a little bit of a farm. Yeah. We like some pumpkins. We, you know, smoke a little... Smoke a little yeah. pipe weed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's this very, like, there's a great Brennan Lee Mulligan bit about, like, we need to check on the blacksmiths of Middle Earth because are they doing okay emotionally? <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're doing okay because, like, some elf made a cool sword 10,000 years ago and nothing that they make will ever be as cool. <laughs> right, right. And like the way that we understand technology and progress in our own time, our own history, like Middle Earth works in a completely alien way to that. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's almost kind of a sense of all the old magic and the wonder and the crazy needs to get cleared out, yeah. and now sort of maybe science can start to come in, right? And sort of usurp that place but yeah but again but that very quickly you end up just making pillars of the earth if you're going in that direction oh shout out pillars of the earth but yeah so like my initial instinct for okay what is a society set in the distant past how can we make it feel strange and different and like this completely new fascinating environment kind of goes out the window with the way tolkien treats (laughs) the past it's like well okay (laughs) the the numenorians were kind of like the Gondorians, only cooler and only taller. Better. Only right. better. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I will say that, like, and and we have talked about this off mic, that is interesting about the prequel problem and about stories where we know the endings is kind of figuring out how like prophecies can be self-fulfilling and how good intentions can lead to bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting the story of the second age is one of people trying to recapture the grandeur of the past and and right. trying to like in a lot of ways like innovate their way to like that old Edenic society. Um, and it goes very poorly for all of them. <laughs> um, Let me come back to that in a moment, but yeah, I do yeah. wanna ask you both, like, I don't wanna just ask, is there a good prequel? Can it happen? But, I'm, but, 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 but I kinda wanna ask, is there a good prequel? Can it happen? Like, is there a prequel that comes to mind that doesn't need to be a movie, it can yeah. be a TV show, a video game or whatever, where you're kinda like, that was a really good thing that was not completely devoid of suspense because I do know that Anakin Skywalker ends up in Darth Vader's suit. Yeah. Uh, sorry, whoever, the one person that was listening to us without knowing that. Um, I just spoiled that for you. Yeah. You know, is there something that is kind of like, yeah, that was a good rejiggering, a good sort of, you know, like has someone solved the prequel problem effectively? And I'm, can we steal what they did so for th- Jeff's project? So I think in terms of 
it's not as helpful for fantasy, but I think historical fiction has this problem too. Mm -hmm. We're like, we know what's going to happen to Anne Boleyn. <laughs> like, sorry, girl, it's not right. going to work out for you. The Protestantism thing will, but not for you. <laughs> Right. Um, but we still tell stories about her all the time mm -hmm. because she is a fascinating figure and the way that she goes after power and the way that she overreaches is interesting and has resonances for, you know, how we understand the place of women in our own time. So I think, you know, with a prequel like this, you want to present interesting structures and, and characters that we kind of know is not quite going to work out, but it's not going to work out in an interesting way that we don't understand yet. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, kind of one of those, like, you begin with a society, you know, sort of perhaps let's take Numenor. Yeah. And I'm just going to make some stuff up for a moment. Island nation, very powerful. All these men, they're wise, they're powerful. They have magic, they have technology, they have all the things. Yeah. There is kind of, you know, this mad king on the throne and he's really power hungry and he's kind of, you know, looking across the sea at these other places and going, I think those places would be better if I was in charge. Yeah. And so you do that in episode one and kind of everyone starts to go like, okay, I know that Numenor eventually goes away because I've seen the Lord of the Rings movies and like there's a whole big deal about like, ooh, Aragorn is one of the last Numenorean descendants of this like long lost kingdom. So I know that this doesn't end well for yeah. these people. I'm imagining that this like, you know, king is really gonna fuck every one over and then it's like oh no surprise plot twist the entire first season is about deposing that mad king yes and this young kind prince is you know very reluctantly rising up to be the benevolent leader that his heroes that his people deserve and eventually three seasons later down the line he will be corrupted in a different way like yes. sort of something like that is what you're talking that about that is what i'm talking about where people will look at it and kind of go i see the straight path and you're kind of going nope you are shoved off the straight path and into to the dark, weird forest of interesting turns. The dark, weird forest of interesting turns is the place you want to be. There you go. And I think Numenor is the right focus point because it is a society that like has no analog in the Third Age, but you know has connections to it. In the Numenorean kings, uh, they're related to Elrond distantly, and you know you have elves around the shop too, and. Sauron shows up and all, all sorts. Eventually they go and fight Sauron with the elves. So like, that's all good. Nice, nice. Yeah. I think like the the elves are tricky. I'm curious for y'all's take on them. Cause I feel like- They've got good hair. They've got great hair, but I feel like they're better in small doses. Like I'm nervous to make them protagonists. Can we get Orlando Bloom back in there though? I mean, Jeff is on it. <laughs> that was actually part of the contract. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's part of why the show is so expensive, or Lee's feet. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, and like, you're right that there that you probably don't just want an elf protagonist, just because kind of by their nature, elves know a lot of the weird stuff. They sure do. Um, like they've kind of been around forever and they've seen a million and one things. And, you know, someone like Galadriel, who I know is a big part of this new show, is kind of great as like, oh, like we go visit Galadriel and she can explain to us like, oh, this like weird magical artifact that you found is actually the wand of Orcus long lost in right. the kingdoms of Barad-dûr to whatever, whatever, whatever. I am just making a hash of all the terminology there. But when she's the one that you're following and she already has that knowledge and she knows what it is and she knows where it's used and she knows what's going on, how do we have those conversations where the audience gets introduced to what those things are? Like, you know, you kind of have an exposition challenge 
if you're with the elves all the time. And th that's that's the other thing too is like I think the show is going for a very different interpretation of Galadriel as a as a younger elf than she is in, when she's. Kate the Great in the Third Age. And like, there is something interesting to, okay, we know kind of where this person ends up. How do they get there? Yeah. And what are the mistakes that they're going to make along the way? But it's it's the prequel problem of, I know ultimately what this person is going to do and what they're going to choose. And so how do, how do you create suspense without overplaying your hand? It's a very delicate balance. Here would be my pitch. <laughs> and this is going to be useless because it's going to be like, oh, this will be really cool in like season three and does sure, not sure, at sure. all say anything about what yeah. the setup is. You're in the second age. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like shit going on. Yeah. But you have these, you know, this group of human protagonists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them are older kings. Some of them are young warriors. Some of them are, you know, sort of like scholars. You know, you have men, women, every, like, you know, Everybody. like it's a mix of people. Yeah. But, you know, you have this like solid group of people that are the main group of people that you're, you know, following. And they're interacting with elves and dwarves and going off to like, you know, deal Having with adventures. that dragon problem yeah. and whatever. And over the course of the story, and you're kind of just like telling stories about the problems that these people have. And at the end of maybe the second season, maybe the end of the third season, every one of these human protagonists somehow receives a ring of power. And you realize, oh, we have been watching the eventual ring rates. These are all the nine people that yeah. become corrupted into the ring rates. And we know that by the end of the show, they're all gonna, they're all going to like have some terrible fall. Except for maybe one who it's a surprise they give up the ring. Sure, there you go, yeah. boom. But then their evil brother, you know, snatches yeah. oh, it yeah. up. Oh, like yeah, oh yeah. Like that. Yeah, their mother-in-law or whoever. There you yeah. go, yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, and, and like that's where I would be kind of like, get loose with the canon because you know, it's supposed to be like nine kings. kings and so that's like, but whatever, who cares? Like, let's just, you know, like, yeah, that's some dodgy bookkeeping. Isn't it wild that like history won't remember who this is accurately? Yeah, it was this, that's you never know, happened before. It was this great female warrior that actually like got the king or got the ring and became one of the ring rates. Yeah. yeah. So that would be my pitch, Jeff. There you go. Hey, I would I would do something similar where you know it's it's a little bit the politics of the Numenorean throne. You have uh, a bunch of warriors, a bunch of politicians. You have like indigenous folks in the areas that Numenor is conquering, and kind of a play for the soul of this country. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, the protagonists that are all sort of united and and that we are rooting for in the first season by like the end of that season, beginning of the second season are starting to splinter off into mm -hmm. factions. And, you know, some people are, are making good choices for the wrong reasons. Some people are making bad choices for the absolute right reasons. And we sort of see how power compromises people. And you have these like mysterious magic forces in the world of like, you know, maybe maybe some of them go to Khazad-dûm, which eventually becomes Moria. Yeah. And that, you know, if you- that's still open for business oh, in the second age, Oh, it's very right? open for business. Um, <laughs> and like, that's something where you can really play the suspense and the resonance of like, this was a ruin when we yeah. saw it in Fellowship. And so you make it as lively and as, right. as you know, full it's and Times different. Times Square at exactly. 5 p.m. on a Thursday. And yeah. that shit works. You just can't do it for characters. <laughs> <laughs> you know what might be a good model for hmm. our friend Jeff? Hmm. Stephen King's The Stand. Yeah. Because that is a very, very, very long book. <laughs> 
It sure is. <laughs> it's, it's huge. It's like 1,300 pages or something. Very, very big King book. And a, you start reading it and you think that it is going to be about this virus that is tearing across America, killing a lot of people. Topical. But eventually, you kind of get to the point where, oh no, you realize it's actually about this like tapestry of people, like it's like 20 or so like protagonists in that book, yeah. who are slowly gravitating into these two blocks of people. Like uh, one group of people end up in Las Vegas and one group of people end up, I don't remember where the other sort of base camp is. It's like Washington or something. Something, yeah. I think. Been and a minute then, since I've read the stand. And slowly you realize like, oh shit, these two people are, these two camps are going to end up fighting each other. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, Camp A is all the like good, virtuous, nice people, and Camp B is all the bastards. You're kind of like, no, I, I like and dislike people in both camps. Yeah. There's not like an easy one that I am rooting for. Although one of them does have, uh, as a leader, someone who is eventually yes, strongly suggested to be the devil. Yes. Um, but you know, but if you're doing something, you know, like I think that we can be a little bit more explicit that like the show that the real Jeff Bezos eventually made or eventually bought from people that made it for him is apparently going to be about the making of the Rings of Power in the Second Age yes. and about how Sauron, who was the villain in the Lord of the Rings movies, kind of manipulated the elves and the Numenorians and all these people. I think that you can have something where you're, you're having a bunch of people living their lives as that starts happening, but slowly you sort of end up going like, kind of like, oh yeah, no, look, like, you know, half the cast is kind of ended up ending up in an alliance over here. Yeah. And half the cast is ending up in an alliance over here under Sauron's leadership because he has promised them solutions to all their problems that are very relatable problems that we want them to have solved. Yes, and we understand why those problems affect them. Right, but again, but kind of like the, whatever I said before, the forest of interesting thorny uh, detours or whatever it yeah. was. Camp A is not like all the, it's not just like Galadriel and all the benevolent, yeah. you know, virtuous elves. It's like, oh, that guy that's a real bastard, like whoever the Sawyer of the show is going to be, he's there. And someone that is like really kind and really we root for them is over That's in Camp Sauron. That's what you Sauron. do with the hobbits. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's good. Which, which is which is a problem we didn't even talk about is that like, I think my instinct would just be like, you know what? There's a canonical joke in sort of, it's in the appendices, I think, that the, the first notable thing that hobbits do is invent golf in the third <laughs> age. That's it. Before that, they were just around. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. If I was writing this thing, the hobbits would not be present. Anywhere. And someone yeah. would be like, where are the hobbits? I'd be like, in don't, the Shire. Who don't cares? Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the Amazon show is very, very consciously talking about sort of the nomadic ancestors of uh, the hobbits. Okay. Um, this is not spoilers. It's been in the yeah, press yeah, yeah. materials. And, you know, that's another interesting thorn in you have a group of characters who are not going to have a historical impact. Like, they can't. They can't mm -hmm. have one. But how do you have the, let them have an emotional impact? And for whom? And that's, that, that is also an interesting problem to solve. Okay. So I think this is a lot of good stuff for our good friend Jeff to take away for his <laughs> parallel world, right. you know, version of Lord of the Rings. Uh, what would it be called? That's, I think, the last question before we set it off. Is it still the Rings of Power? Is it the Dark Lord? Which I think was my sort of like fanficy title of like, you know, in the, if sure. it's called Lord of the Rings later on, this one we should call it the Dark Lord. So it's always just like still pointing back to Sauron. Uh, is it called the 
Shadows of the Past. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. No, no, no. yeah, I don't know what it's called yet because I don't know that we have like, this has been an excellent brainstorm. I'm not sure we have the full shape of it yet. Yeah, um, fair enough, fair enough. But I, it, w- I, it, w- it wouldn't be NBI if I didn't ask. No, for the title. <laughs> they are important. Um, the other thing we didn't talk about is that canonically in the Second Age, Sauron is super hot. Mm-hmm. Like he's beautiful. Smoking. Yeah. So I like this Dark Lord idea. Something something to do with that. Because he's dark, fine. smoldering lord. There we go. Mm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, uh, we're going to um, now spend a little while talking about who we would cast as Sauron. Uh, yes. But I don't think that you guys will be interested in hearing that. So we're going to let you go. Uh, thank you for indulging this little, fun, nerdy, different version of NBI. We wanted to do something a little bit different since we did get to be together for this one. But we'll be back to our regularly scheduled nonsense next week. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesher and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love.